0: We should really embrace the evolving knowledge that we have to really tailor the programs and help governments tailor the programs towards the most needy to start with so that we don't leave anyone behind and really to make a sustainable impact.
1: This is an ENN podcast for the Field Exchange 63 Child Wasting in South Asia Special Edition. My name is Marie McGrath, editor of ENN's established publication Field Exchange, and I'm one of the technical directors at ENN. We've produced a special edition of Field Exchange on wasting in South Asia in partnership with the UNICEF Regional South Asia Office. As part of our learning capture, we are delighted to have this conversation with British Schumacher, who is Senior Regional Nutrition Advisor with WFP Regional Bureau for Asia and the Pacific. This regional office provides support to 14 countries in Asia, of which seven are in South Asia. Britta has been based in Bangkok for the last three years, and so is very well placed to share insights into WP's role in and regional approaches, indeed, to wasting management and, indeed, undernutrition more broadly in the region. Welcome, Britta. Thank you very much. So and um, maybe to kickstart our conversation, could you give us a bit of an overview of WFP's role and approach to the management of abundant nutrition in the South Asia region?
0: Yes, certainly. So thank you for giving me this opportunity to talk about our perspective on raising reduction and other forms of malnutrition in South Asia. So as you have mentioned, we work in seven countries in South Asia, in all basically but Maldives. But we only basically focus on undernutrition for under fives or the 1,000-day portfolio in Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka and Nepal. Our approach in the region is in fact driven by the statistics and the situation that we know from South Asia. And that shows a serious situation of multiple forms of undernutrition in South Asia. We know that 25 million children are wasted in this region, but also 56 million are stunted. And we also know that anemia is a huge problem affecting more than 230 million women of reproductive age and also young children under five. And then there's the trend in overweight. These forms of malnutrition do exist in the same communities, households, and sometimes some of them even in the same person. And that makes it quite a challenge for governments and the technical partners to single out one of the type of malnutrition and and it, it requires somehow to embrace the diversity of malnutrition and the determinants that we have in the region we know that maternal nutrition which i've already mentioned with anemia is is a big determinant also of child undernutrition we know that a quarter of the children in south asia are born born with low birth weight which is every fourth child, which is you. And then, for example, we have a low percentage of appropriate infant and young child feeding practices. So only 12% of young children have a minimum acceptable diet, which is really, really low. And when we look at underlying causes, we look into the 33% of households, families of these children, women that are food insecure, And we have widespread poverty still in this region, despite economic growth, and at least until before COVID, we had strong economic growth. We also know uh, more and more through some analytical work that uh, also WFP is supporting, that families, women and children who are part of these families from the poorest and food insecure households, they are much more unlikely to access an nutritious diet and much unlikely to afford a nutritious diet that has the appropriate levels of protein, micronutrients, and also essential fatty acids, and also sufficient nutrient density for the young children between six and 23 months that they need to grow and develop for their cognitive development as well. Overall, in in South Asia, uh, as we have learned recently from the new SOFI report, we know that even before COVID, so figures from last year, 586 million people cannot afford a minimum nutritious diet. So we are really talking about millions of people and a really complex problem. Now, additionally to that, poverty and food insecurity and nutrition as a, con- a consequence is also in- influenced by frequent shocks. Because this region, South Asia and also Southeast Asia, is a region with a higher risk of natural hazards. So, overall, having introduced this and how I see the, the situation in South Asia with some of the key features, and given the multitude and the multiple burden of malnutrition um, in South Asia, overall, we promote and we also support governments in a, in a package of interventions that really try to prevent wasting, stunting, and micronutrient deficiencies. And with some of our interventions and interventions that government have also overweight, but I'm not going to talk too much about that today. So the the focus of prevention is really important because with a preventive approach, one can address, especially through the diet pathway, multiple forms of malnutrition. The pathway in in the preventive package that we are supporting and promoting with governments is really aiming to support the achievement of nutrient-adequate and healthy diets especially for young children and pregnant lactating women or pregnant nursing women, but also more broadly around the life cycle. So um, this is our approach through different programmatic avenues and also being conscious of the fact that we are in a context of climate change and natural hazards and of course in some countries quite strongly also political conflict here in, in South Asia we provide support for analysis on nutrient gaps and affordability of nutritious diets and facilitating multi-stakeholder consensus on what the different sectors can contribute in terms of cost-effective to- solutions to achieving this we are also working or have been working in the region a lot on food value chains working with the private sector and brokering connections between governments and private sector to link interventions from the food system into social protection and health programs, such as making available locally produced specialized nutritious foods that meet nutrient requirements of young children or women. Or we are helping governments optimizing complementary food supplements that they provide as part of their longstanding programs already. And then we are also supporting and advocating for linking social and behaviour change interventions into health or social protection programs. And then maybe last but not least, but also really important is that we also work on strengthening
1: capacities in emergency preparedness and response. So, Britta, thank you so much for that overview. And moving on then, what are the various approaches that governments are using across the South Asia region to prevent wasting, as well as other forms of undernutrition?
0: Yeah, so we see a variety of approaches in South Asia. I can see that most countries do embrace a focus on prevention and have a much stronger focus on preventing uh, wasting and other forms of uh, malnutrition. And they do focus on enhancing nutrient intake of the vulnerable groups. The use of specific fortified foods um, has actually a long history in South Asia, especially to poor and disadvantaged children. And these are usually provided as a package of interventions linking in with health systems interventions. For example, in Nepal and Afghanistan, these specialized, nutritious, fortified foods are provided through the health system and they are targeted to highly food insecure areas that are also have high rates of wasting and stunting and they target geographically. In Afghanistan, for example, this is part of the nutrition cluster approach and they use for the targeting aggravating factors such as as displacements, which is a a reality in, in Afghanistan and is also linked to CMOM services. So they do have treatment there as well. In Nepal, the fortified blended food that they use is actually um, locally produced and targeted to a very remote area in province six, which is Kanali region, as part of a maternal and child nutrition program. So it's also a highly food insecure area where food availability for parts of the year is even a big issue. And uh, people do not access nutritious diets there. The interesting part of Nepal, of this project, is that the locally produced food that WFP has supported in the past to be able to produce it in Nepal can also be diverted in case there is an emergency response. So that increases food insecurity. So the government then would like us to use that to respond to that emergency rather than relying on imported food, which often doesn't reach on time. On the other side of the spectrum, we have India and Sri Lanka that have long-standing programs with with national coverage. And they have also traditionally um, been providing locally produced fortified foods, especially for young children and women as well. The interesting part for Sri Lanka is that they target um, underweight children, which is the only country in the region that does that. So rather than all children um, under two, it's targeted towards underweight children. And then also to pregnant lactating women and in India um, this is so it's it's through the health system in India this is what they call the take home ration program and it is part of a integrated child development service ICDS program that also links with immunization and and other interventions implemented by the ministry of women and child development and the last package or the last couple of examples I want to give is from Pakistan and Bangladesh so these programs have in common that they are an evidence-informed, nutrition-sensitive social protection programs that we have been supporting. And they, the respective ministries collaborate with the Ministry of Health. There's the Benazir Income Support Program in Pakistan that has recently moved to integrating a package of interventions targeting pregnant and lactating women with, with, with a cash incentive and the locally produced specialized food and also linking in other interventions like SPC and the maternal and child development program in Bangladesh which targets also the 1,000 days uses cash transfers with social and behavior change communication but, but does not rely on a food transfer and, and has a much broader, let's say, set of objectives also to improve health services uptake, reduce child mortality,
1: etc. Thank you, Britta. That's a really nice flavour of the different approaches. And from your perspective, which of these approaches do you think have worked well in South Asia region? And are there any evaluations that have been carried out showing any impact um, that they have had? I must say that uh, from our perspective, we would prefer
0: to see more evaluations happening in these programmes and not all of the evaluations that governments have carried out are available publicly. So the evidence base is, is not as strong as we would wish it to be. As an organization, we do support evidence-based approaches and, and advocate with governments to invest in strong M&E systems um, because it is important for them, of course, to know what results the investments generate and when program amendments are required. Overall, I think social protection programs, which are not the traditional sector for the prevention of malnutrition, have a huge opportunity to reach income poor households, knowing that the connection between um, wealth and, you know, wealth and social indicators, I think that is an important opportunity in the region to pursue uh, complementing and, and also in coordination with the health system, of course. Another enablers when there's a cluster approach because cluster approaches, we know them mostly from humanitarian contexts, but they do facilitate a consensus building across partners, including governments, on a package of interventions and the targeting criteria. So we only have that in few countries in this region, but it does facilitate consensus building and also strong M&E systems because um, we have smart surveys and others that are, provide more frequent data. So we can see that additional analysis can also be very useful to inform program design and also raise awareness on differences within the country. For example, affordability of diets in one region is not the same as, as in other regions and can also vary before and after shocks. And we can see with COVID now that we can anticipate uh, impact uh, by COVID on that as well. That requires governments to have a, a bit of a more flexible approach.
1: Thank you. Britta, in terms of when you've been supporting implementation, what lessons have you learned from these approaches in terms of design and implementation that you think other countries could draw upon? When we have the
0: opportunity to advocate with government or support them in incorporating in, in first of all, having an evidence-based approach that is the most promising for governments and the most convincing also in terms of financial allocations, because they know what approach, that, that approach that was part of a research works. And I think it's one of the, the big lessons that I see from this region, both in terms of have a, having a strong program design and modeling different interventions like either cash and in different combinations, cash with social and behavior change or uh, food transfers with cash or, or other models, but also because governments really then want to see the results at larger scale. And so they will maintain that focus on the m and systems. And then the other point is that really it is so important to involve the people themselves. To tailor messaging, the behavior, the, the communication to their needs, understand the cultural elements of how they access diets, how they access um, health facilities, how they
1: access services. Gender issues play an important role in this. Thank you, Britta. And in giving us this oversight and this flavour of programming, how has WFP's role changed over the years in how you support governments to prevent wasting in South Asia?
0: It would be good to look at an example, actually, and I want to use the example of Pakistan to explain our transition. So in Pakistan, for example, we came in support of an earthquake in 2005 and there was a traditional emergency response. And then over time, towards 2011, we engaged in in value chains for malnutrition. So we were involving the private sector and identified the need for the production of a locally produced product. And then in 2011, there was a flood response, and we shifted towards longer-term goals, sustainable development goals, towards uh, raising awareness on the different types of malnutrition, also micronutrient deficiencies, being in in enormous problem and started engaging at policy level and so our role shifted from an implementer to more a technical assistance provider and so this continued kind of until today it's kind of quite quite a journey where now we are providing technical assistance mostly so our role has completely changed from through analytical work value chain work policy work to to really being a, a technical partner, working with governments on their goals. And this is the, what I can see in, in the region happening a lot in most countries, not only in the middle-income countries, but even in, in the countries like Afghanistan and Nepal, that we are much more supporting an enabling, um, an enabling approach. And it's very interesting for me personally to see that in Asia, that governments take responsibilities and, and just pull in the different technical partners that they need. From a sustainability perspective, it makes much more sense to work through the government systems, either social protection or health or food systems, and with the private sector to on on more sustainable solutions that look into the medium and longer term
1: horizon rather than. Only the immediate. Thank you, Britta. And I think as we're we're drawing towards the end of this really interesting conversation, I was wondering, it's hard to see far ahead, but really reflecting on experience to date, what is your vision for the future, both for the prevention of wasting in South Asia and as well as perhaps WSP's role in supporting this? That's, of course, a big question, and I
0: I don't think there's an easy answer. But what I see needs to happen in Asia is really to get the incidence and prevalence and the number of wasted children down to a level that it's manageable by the health systems. So if, because at the moment the health systems are overwhelmed, there are too many wasted children in South Asia, and it's not possible to provide provide every child with, with a treatment opportunity in order to achieve that though I, I really feel that we need to mobilize all the different sectors you can um, mobilize the different sectors as i've already described so to reach the poor or the food insecure first but then also work at, at a more larger scale and we really need to work with the people themselves because they often don't understand all the complexity of why a child is wasted or why why a child is stunted if at all it's it's been recognized and so what is a healthy and nutritious diet and and how they can um with the means that they have get to it and an additional point i want to make is that we need to work around the life cycle so i also really see the importance of the education system not only that education better educated people have less likely malnourished children and have more healthier children but also to expose the school age children adolescents already early to good dietary practices and sensitize them and raise awareness on the importance of that so that later on when they're decision makers or their parents themselves, that they're already sensitive to that and can make positive choices. So it's, it's a complex thing. So I really think that we need to learn much more about these different contexts and then really tailor our, our interventions to meet those requirements. So that's my vision. And it wasn't a short one. Um, <laughs> It's, uh, it's very complex in, in South Asia we, with the urbanization happening and, and the persisting changes and, and also the trend towards overweight. It really definitely requires a multi sectoral approach, multi-actor approach and um, a, a focus on broadly the determinants of malnutrition, including overnutrition.
1: Thank you so much, Britta. Um, So that's been a really interesting and and fascinating insight into your work and indeed the work of many governments and partners um, in the region. Thank you so much for for taking the time to talk with us today. Read the Child Wasting in South Asia Special Edition Field Exchange to find out more. Visit ennonline.net forward slash F-E-X.